Hello, and welcome to the Blossoms of Courage podcast, a podcast designed to inspire the women of today with the women of yesterday. I'm your host, Maddie May. So today we're talking about the first Florence Nightingale, and last time we talked about the second one. And if you're confused by that, go ahead and listen to my previous episode on Edith Cavell. Ever since I was little, I loved the story of Florence Nightingale because she cared so much about the people she took care of. While it is said that she held to Unitarian beliefs and seemed to be a bit of a feminist of her time by breaking the social constructs of her day, I believe there is much to be learned from Florence Nightingale. Without her, our understanding of basic hygiene would be drastically different. I think it's hard for us in our day and age to think of a time when something like washing your hands was not really thought of as a necessary practice. Florence Nightingale was born on May 12, 1820 in Florence, Italy, to Francis and William Shore Nightingale. She had one elder sister, Parthenope. And if you're wondering how her parents picked such a name, she was also named after the city she was born in. When Florence was one, her family moved back to England. Her family was well-connected and wealthy, owning two homes. Florence was known for being strong-willed, slightly socially awkward, and did not enjoy being the center of attention. Both of the Nightingale sisters were educated by their father. Their education was uncharacteristic of the day. With the help of their father, they studied history, mathematics, classical, literature, and philosophy. At a young age, Florence was able to read and write French, German, Italian, Greek, and Latin. Florence, who proved the more academic of the two, excelled in her ability of collecting and analyzing data. Later in life, this would prove crucial. Florence preferred the great philosophers and to engage in serious political and social discourse with her father to sewing, art, and home management like the other ladies of her class and time. When Florence was 16, it became clear that she was called to nursing. Even from a young age, she was known for helping the sick and poor people of the neighboring village. In February of 1837, she decided to devote her life to the service of others. When she was 17 years old, she turned down a proposal from Richard Monckton Milnes, her reasoning that being a wife and mother would hinder her calling as a nurse. Florence's family opposed her a decision to become a nurse. Because of this, she didn't announce her decision until 1844, when she enrolled as a nursing student at the Lutheran Hospital of, Pla- of Pastor Fliedner in Kaiserwerth, Germany. She worked hard to learn about the art of signs and nursing, and even in the face of strong opposition from her family. In 1850, while visiting Egypt near Cairo, she wrote in her journal, God called me in the morning and asked me, would I go and do good for him alone without reputation? Later that year, she visited the Lutheran religious community at Kaiserwerth am Rhein in Germany. While there, she saw Pastor Fliedner and the deaconesses serving the sick and poor. This was a major turning point in her life. She later published her findings anonymously in 1851. It was the first work she published. She also received four months of medical training there. This formed the basis for how she cared for her own patients later. In early 1850, she returned to London, taking a nursing job at the Institute of the Care of Sick Gentlewomen in Upper Harley Street, London. On August 22nd in 1853, she was given the post of superintendent. It was far from easy, as shortly after there was a cholera outbreak, and the unsanitary state of the hospital made the disease spread rapidly. It was her goal to improve hygiene, which lowered the death rate. She stayed there until October of 1854. 
Her father gave her an annual income of £500 so that she could pursue her career and live in comfort. It seems that by this he gave her more support than her mother and sister did. In October of 1853, the Crimean War started when the Turkish Ottoman Empire declared war on Russia over the protection of different religious groups. In an effort to mediate, the British found themselves in the midst of a war for the Ottoman Empire to hold back the Russian expansion. Thousands of British soldiers were sent to the Crimean Peninsula in Russia by the Black Sea. By the end of the first year fighting, no less than 18,000 soldiers were in military hospitals and supplies were going quickly. With reports to Britain about the horrendous state of the hospitals and the lack of care for the wounded, the Secretary of War, Sidney Herbert, sent a desperate letter to Florence asking her to gather nurses and come aid the military doctors in caring for the soldiers. Within a couple of days, she and about 38 women volunteer nurses were ready to sail to Crimea. By early November of 1854, Florence and her nurses arrived in the hospital Scrutari. There were no female nurses at the hospitals, and the women were disgusted to find such horrible care for the soldiers. The hospital in Scrutari sat on top of a large cesspool. Because of this, the water was contaminated. The soldiers lay on stretchers scattered throughout the hallways. Due to the poor conditions, rodents and bugs were abundant, adding to the misery of the already dying soldiers. The staff was overworked and basic supplies like bandages, soap, and even clean water were scarce. Basic hygiene that is commonplace to us today was neglected or non-existent. It is reported that 10 times more soldiers died from illness than from their wounds. Florence was disgusted by the poor treatment and lack of care for the soldiers and the inability of the other staff to get the necessary supplies to run an effective hospital. She sent a plea to the Times asking the government for a solution to the conditions. In response, they built a hospital that was then sent to Dardanelles. The result was a civilian hospital that under Edmund Alexander Parks had one-tenth of the death rate of that of Scrutari. Due to Florence implementing hand washing and other basic hygiene along with an invalid's kitchen, a place where food was prepared for those with dietary restrictions, a laundry so that there was clean linens, a classroom, and a library. She also offered letter writing assistance so that soldiers could send letters to their families. As a result, she cut the death rate from 42% to 2%. It was during this time she gained the nickname The Lady with the Lamp because of a report in the Times. She is a ministering angel without any exaggeration in these hospitals, and as her slender form glides quietly along each corridor, every poor fellow's face softens with gratitude at the sight of her. When all the medical officers have retired for the night, and silence and darkness have settled down upon those miles of prostrate sick, she may be observed alone with a little lamp in her hand, making her solitary rounds. In May 1855, she became ill with what is known, what was known as Crimean fever, known today as brucellosis, likely caused by drinking contaminated milk. She never fully recovered since there was no treatment known at the time. It lasted for 25 years and often left her confined to the bed because of immense chronic pain. Despite this, she remained at Scrutari for a year and a half. Finally, on March 30, 1856, the Treaty of Paris ended the Crimean War. Florence remained at Scrutari until the hospitals closed. She returned to her home in Derbyshire in early August. She did her best to avoid the hero's welcome that she received. Her work was rewarded by the Queen with an engraved brooch, which is now known as the Nightingale Jewel, and a prize of $250,000. 
After the war, Florence trained nurses and wrote about 200 books, pamphlets, and reports on hospital, sanitation, and other health-related issues. Because of her work, she played a crucial role in increasing the average national life expectancy by 20 years. Because of her work in nursing, it was viewed as an honorable vocation by the upper class. She turned hospitals from a place where people went to die to a place to receive proper care. In 1883, Florence became the first to receive the Royal Red Cross. Because of her work in the visual presentation of statistical graphics, she became the first female member of the Royal Statistical Society. Her work in statistics got the attention of the American Statistical Association. She was named an honorary member. She's even credited with developing a form of the pie chart, now known as the Polar Area Diagram or even the Nightingale-Rose Diagram. She used these diagrams to show how the Sanitary Commission's work decreased the death rate. In 1908, she was conferred the Merit of Honor by King Edward, and in May of 1910, she received a congratulatory message from King George on her 90th birthday. Florence Nightingale died in her home on August 13, 1910, at the age of 90. Knowing her desire to have a small memorial, her relatives declined the offer for her to be buried in Westminster Abbey. She is buried in the churchyard of St. Margaret's Church in East Well, Hampshire, with only her initials and dates. Two years after her death, the International Committee of the Red Cross created the Florence Nightingale Medal. It is presented to nurses who have distinguished themselves in their vocation every two years. Nurses today still use the Florence Nightingale Pledge. I solemnly pledge myself before God and in the presence of this assembly to pass my life in purity and practice my faith faithfully. I shall abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous and shall not take or knowingly administer any harmful drug. I shall do it all in my power to maintain and elevate the standard of my profession and will hold in confidence all personal matters committed to my keeping and all family affairs coming to my knowledge in the practice of my calling. I shall be loyal to my work and devoted towards the welfare of those committed to my care. If you'd like to learn more about the life of Florence Nightingale, there are links in the description. Florence Nightingale was a blossom of courage because of her unwavering care of others and putting others before herself and standing up for the most vulnerable. She was a blossom of courage. Thank you for listening to the Blossoms of Courage podcast, a podcast designed to inspiring the women of today with the women of yesterday. I'm your host, Maddie May.